0: So we're here at the Democratic Open we House, hosted by Clara Goodwin. Uh, she is running for precinct chair yeah, in Houston. And our show is in Nashville, but we <laughs> wanted to interview her since um, this is part of the movement that uh, the Trump administration... It's like a response to the Trump administration where people are, are running, they are taking their politics seriously, and they're making a difference. So we're going to be asking her questions regarding uh, why people should vote, why should they get involved, and what made her get involved in this process. I've been
1: working on Laura Moser's campaign, and been involved in that race, but there's a lot of interesting races going on, like across the state. It's it's pretty... I have to do more research on the governor's race, because there are like eight people running for that as well. So there's Senate, House, um, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, all the like statewide races are all up. And then there's the... Ha- Texas House, Um, our Senate seat is not up this year. And then there's a bunch of Supreme Court seats, uh, district court seats, local court seats, Justice of the Peace, (laughs) county county clerk, district clerk, county treasurer. (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. The good news is that there are Democrats running for almost every position. Which has not been the
0: case. So when you go vote and there's all these old people that, uh, not to offend anybody, and they're like, make sure that your papers are, <laughs> make sure that you got your car and stuff, like that. are those the precinct chairs or are they just volunteers? Yes.
1: So, election, precinct chairs have priority to serve as election judges. Okay. So the precinct chair is, is the first person who's offered the position of election judge for their precinct. That's who those people are, the election judges. And then they don't have to serve as election judge. So if they don't serve, then someone else can serve.
0: And how did they pick? Because like when I voted for the primary in Tennessee, it's at a church and everybody's Republican. And then you walk in and you say Democrat or Green Party or whatever, and you feel like uh, intimidated. Mm-hmm. So I feel intimidated walking into a church to begin with, and then I feel intimidated when they make you call out what party you're voting for it seems
1: you mean you know. for primaries they
0: did that during the primary and mm-hmm. then everybody just stared at me like you're not voting for trump like what's wrong with you so uh so then i went to the one here for um the school what was it the- yeah and it, it kind of like it was the same thing it was at a church and everybody looks at you like you're crazy or something so well, except like-
1: that here they're i mean for like the school board it's a nonpartisan race so they're not really allowed to ask you what party you're voting for. Well, they didn't do it's it, but, for a but it, right, I and had and the
0: actually. same like bad feeling like the first time. Oh, and when, when I went to vote for president, they were actually sitting outside in full camel gear like trying to intimidate us because Trump told them make sure that there's no hanky-panky with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were like the, me and some other minorities were walking out and we see those. This members. is in Tennessee. This is in Tennessee, yeah. so it's not the same here. But um, it's just, I feel that even you sharing what, what the process is like and stuff like that, it's like, Overwhelming, and then uh, it's um, like you can tell that there's only a certain kind of people that that have the time to actually research or be involved and stuff like that. And then, um, so I don't know if like it's purposeful that it's so complicated, and then it's also kind of um, in
1: Texas for sure.
0: So I don't know. So I just I just want to share like my experience that like I haven't had the good experience going to vote or to participate. So. If for the for the election for like a presidential election it is awkward, then you wonder like why go through all the other ones? Like why be put through the ringer to? Yeah, yeah I was gonna say in
1: the primaries, I don't think anyone's gonna bother intimidating you because it doesn't like they don't want you voting in. The, if you're a Democrat, they don't want you voting in a Republican primary. Anyways, it doesn't right. matter to them, right? Um, it's different implications, right? the that- I think that depends. I think it depends on the precinct. Okay.
0: Like when it's at a school, it's a little more open. But when it's at a church, it kind of like it really
1: just depends. It really just depends on the precinct and What's what about. locations available, right? I mean, I heard like in the um, school board election, I heard that some precincts voting locations were someone's garage because they were just so few people. <laughs> hmm. So it really like it's hugely dependent on the precinct what happened. And then recently, like in the last election, everything was a bit of a mess because a lot of the pre, the normal polling locations actually flooded. And so then everything got shuffled around. But I know, like, for this precinct, it's so tiny that we don't get our own polling location. So it's combined with the next precinct over, and, like, there's, like, three precincts that have a combined location.
0: Okay.
1: And polling locations are also just determined by, like, I mean, wherever they can find to use. Churches are commonly a precinct a polling location just because that's what's available, right? Like... There aren't a whole lot of community spaces around, and part of, the, part of the idea of a polling location is that each precinct needs to have one that's very close because it's an accessibility issue for people who don't have cars. So if you don't have, like, a large community building that's in your area, then you're left with what is there.
0: Well, and, and I know I went in a rabbit trail, but, like, what is connected is, like, if the person that is elected as precinct chair is partisan, how can they get out of the vote for everybody? Like if, if you are So running...
1: that's not... So the precinct chairs are party. Each party... So each precinct has precinct chairs that are... Part, they're elected by the party. Okay. So there's a Republican precinct chair and a Democratic precinct chair.
0: Okay. And then you get out the vote for your group. So,
1: yeah. So your goal as a precinct chair is to serve... You're a Democratic elected official. Your goal is to serve the Democratic party.
0: Okay.
1: So it's completely... an election election judges are, are a separate thing. Like you can serve as an election judge as precinct chair, but it's a separate... Thing.
0: So not to give you a hard time, but so when a Democrat does not win, should we come up to the precinct chair for not doing their job?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you should look at is voter turnout and if the Democratic voters are turning out, right? Yeah, like you can look at historic voter turnout in a precinct and see sort of how it's, whether it's gone up or down or not. You can also sort of get, like you can look at the turnout for primaries and see if they've got more Democrats or more Republicans voting in primaries. Like some precincts are just have a more Republican population or a more democratic population, right? So the precinct chair might be able to change it somewhat, but the main the main thing I think would tell you if the precinct chair is successful or not is if the voters who vote in the Democratic primary know that they have one and know who it is.
2: How can we help you do that?
1: Um I mean, mainly I'm gonna be Trying to do my, my sort of my plan is to A start an email list of anyone who's interested for election reminders. Just send out like every single election a reminder, hey, there's an election coming up, hey, early voting's today, this is the polling location, hey, election days today this is the polling location. So I'm gonna definitely be doing like I've been doing already started some block walking and just walking the precinct, knocking on all the democratic doors, or Potentially democratic doors, and so we were just talking about what what your job is as a precinct. Well, what my job would be as a precinct chair. So basically, there's the Democratic Party, the, like the National Democratic Party, but then also the Texas Democratic Party maintain a, a database that's called yes. the Voter Activation Network. Yeah. But I so what I did because this is a very small precinct. I figured I could get pretty good reach. So I looked not only at people who voted in Democratic primaries, but also at everyone who, there's like, I guess the Blue Lab scores are sort of, I'm not entirely sure how they calculate them. I think it's based on like, you know, socioeconomic status and gender and all these sort of trends that they're making educated guesses about. They probably also look at your political donations if you've made any. And it sort of guesses who's going to be a Democrat and tells you they've got, like, a 50% chance of being a Democrat, or 75% chance. So I just went for, like, everyone 50% in the because I was like, I might as well just hit as many as I can, you know?
0: So you only came to those houses, or you came to Yeah. Either?
1: No, I talked to only, I only talked to people who were, like, a 50% chance of being a Democrat, or
0: more. Oh, like a big brother kind of thing, too. <laughs> what is it? I mean, They're looking at... Ch-
1: I mean, political donations are all public knowledge. Yeah, yeah you have, you can, you can know, like, little things like that, but also, like, I've noticed if there is anyone who's, like, between the ages of 18 and 25 who doesn't vote, then the, the database guesses they're going to be a Democrat, because that demographic tends to be more Democratic. So, a lot of it is actually just educated guesswork. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, right? That demographic means mm-hmm. mm-hmm. climate change. And yeah. That's democratic. Mm-hmm. So, I've had, like, I've been walking for other candidates and, um, uh, some of the walks I've been doing yeah, yeah, in, like, yeah, yeah, I have been up in Lake River, and it's yeah, very have, interesting it cool. because a lot of the times the person on your walk sheet is going to be like a 19-year-old or a 22-year-old or something who's got zero and never voted, but they know, you know the parents aren't on there because they're Republican voters, mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of weird, awkward conversations I've had at doors with parents where I'm like, hi, I was coming by to speak with your you know, your daughter or your son. And they're like, oh, they're at college. Why do you want to talk to my (laughs) daughter or my son? And I'm like, um, I'm campaigning for a Democratic candidate. And they're like, wait, my my kid's not a Democrat. And they're like, sorry. (laughs) I'm just guessing they might be. (laughs) Like, like I I think, is pretty... It's pretty mixed. I'd say it's probably 50-50.
0: Okay.
1: I mean... I think that there are more people who just don't vote in this neighborhood than there are people who are mm-hmm. one of the others strongly. I didn't have a whole lot of people on any of my watch sheets who were like super strong, like vote every election, vote every primary. Not a lot of folks. There was a lot of people who vote like every, you know, every general election mm-hmm. in the big years, but maybe don't vote in the primaries mm-hmm. or maybe voted in the Democratic primaries during the presidential elections. Mm-hmm. Right. More of that mm-hmm. demographic. And it's a lot of, I mean, knocking on doors, I've, got, I, I've heard them to people from all over. You know, there were a lot of people of various races, a lot of people who I was like, oh boy, I'm not going to be able to speak Spanish well enough to speak to them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, so it's like, a, it's a big mix. Just- right now in the primaries, there are a whole bunch of women, or a bunch of Democrats running mm-hmm. for District 10, which is the one that stretches from Katy to Austin. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, a lot of your Democratic voters are going to be in Austin, not in all of the empty space in between. Right. And so some of those... grab Brookshire and yeah. and all those rural... So there's a woman I know who's running for that district who lives in Katy. And she keeps having to drive to Austin for forums, because that's what they're having, you know, because you have a forum within your district, but it could be, like, anywhere from one, one side to the other. It's two-and-a-half or three-hour drive.
2: You know, people don't believe. <laughs> just when I mean, you say it, but they don't. They don't
0: believe that there are concerted, deliberate efforts mm-hmm. to achieve what we're talking about. Well,
1: and not only yeah, that, but it's, it's totally legal.
0: illegal. It's illegal, but they don't. No, they, it's legal. They can't even fathom. Yes. But I'm saying that yes. there's an yeah. intent in the first place. If you, well, you, you can't know draw
2: those? district lines without an intent, unfortunately. And that's why it's in the Democrats' favors in 2020, because that's when the district lines are going to be redrawn again. That's why these well, that's debates, the, midterms are so important. That's if so the, the Democrats, Democrats do are in control. What yes, are done, which is really, gerrymandering is just a fundamental problem with the voting process in general. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything about that, but if, if there's any one party that will, it's probably the Democrats. So that's for them. I mean, we
1: could do something about it if we... Of course, if we if the Supreme Court ruled that gerrymandering, for instance, was unconstitutional, and you had a third party, ma- you know, a system that was sort of a third party system, neutral party. Of course, you never have a fully neutral party. But there's been actually, so a friend of mine is a is a math major. He just started doing his postdoc at Tufts, and there's a couple of mathematicians, at least one woman at Tufts, who's been very involved in the issue of gerrymandering from the point of view of mathematics. Because she's basically arguing that we now have the um, mathematical and computer programming capability to actually create programs that can draw district lines more fairly. Mm. Okay. Well, as with anything, someone has to arbitrate what algorithm they use, to right. determine that process, of and that's where the but manipulation but can come into
2: play. There's you can like always kind of manipulate, it. yeah, you can the always manipulate
1: it to some degree, but you can certainly like. I mean the the main problem before previously the reason gerrymandering is legal, partisan gerrymandering is legal, is that the Supreme Court basically determined that you couldn't you couldn't determine we didn't have ability to determine whether it was even in one favor the favor of the one way or the other. Like the basically the programming ability to figure out whether those districts are unfair is relatively recent. Hmm. Which is why twenty ten was so much more destructive a year for gerrymandering, was that they actually, like, after they drew drew the lines, they could use the computer programs to test whether those lines were actually doing what they wanted them to do, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they needed computer programs to do the gerrymandering the way they did it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was sort of a lot of guesswork. Mm -hmm. Now they actually can, like, use algorithms to determine whether it's doing what they want. And so the hope is that the Supreme Court case that they're going to be hearing soon will determine that they now actually have the ability to determine whether partisan gerrymandering has, in fact, occurred. Right? Like, the argument was sort of, well, we can't tell if they've gerrymandered it or not. It's all random guesswork, so we can't legislate it. And now they're thinking, well, we can tell now. (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how that that plays, yeah. And it's, of course, going to be ending up all left to our lovely swing justice, because... That's the Supreme Court now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be... So it'll be interesting to see what Anthony Kennedy decides for our country. (laughs) But, yeah, that said, I mean, clearly Texas's gerrymandering issues go beyond just the basic partisan gerrymandering, and we've actually had three districts that were declared unconstitutional because they were clearly gerrymandering based on a racial basis. And so we definitely have have a need for some more Democrats in statewide office, but that would be...
2: The South is so difficult to take into account because segregation was only a couple generations ago, and there are racial, racially segregated communities that exist to this day that split people up. I mean, that's, we're still experiencing the problems that happen from segregation, and I think that it makes, right, it nice. makes the South very difficult to, uh, to kind of take into account and really understand what's going on. Because of the damage and segregation
0: is done. Yeah. This week's show, we have a special guest, Clara Goodwin. She's running for precinct chair in uh, an area of Houston that, uh, that I'm familiar with. And the reason we have her on the show is because uh, after all the stuff going on with the, the presidential election, a lot of us young people feel kind of disheartened. And to find out that uh, a young lady is is uh, getting involved, being an activist and running for uh, some type of political position, it gives me hope to hear that um, there might still be a way to turn the the tide and to uh, create a better uh, political system. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and your past involvement in politics?
1: Uh, so my background is actually not very political at all. I was raised in a family of musicians and artists um, I went to school for theater and music history, but um at the same time, you know, I was always pretty aware of what was going on. I had a political junkie for a father and my brother is also an avid New York Times reader, so I grew up with, you know, political t- discussions taking place at the breakfast table on a pretty regular basis. I learned my way around how the government works pretty thoroughly just from, you know, reading the paper in the morning as a family and talking about stuff. Um But I never really followed it that closely myself. I mean, I kind of, you know, waited waited to hear what the distillation of the news from my father. Um, And when I graduated and found that I had time to think about something other than all the work I was doing, I uh, sort of started, you know, it was right in the middle of the election, the presidential election, so I was, like, pretty interested in watching all the presidential debates and hearing... A strong woman stand up and speak and have a an audience that way. I was really kind of blew me away that despite being in a profession that's very male dominated and doesn't have a lot of women, and despite you know thinking of myself as a feminist and breaking barriers and that on that front, I didn't really it never really occurred to me to that politics was a thing that I could do because I had no examples of strong women in politics they were very high profile. Like when I was a kid, the most high profile woman in politics was Sarah Palin and she didn't make that look very good. So I I just realized watching Hillary Clinton win the nomination and watching her speech and all was, was a big awakening for me to think, wow, like we really don't have a lot of women in positions of power in this country. It's really true. Like this is, this feels so weird to me that it was it was just a bit of an eye-opening moment, and so I guess after that, I felt like I really wanted to get involved, and before the election, I was trying to figure out how to volunteer and how to do stuff, and it was not as easy as one would think. I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to volunteer for Hillary Clinton, and it just seemed like it was really not very easy thing to do. It wasn't really laid out well, it wasn't a clear place to go to Or a way to get involved, and I was a little bit demoralizing, and I just ended up feeling kind of like, wow, this is not really set up for people to be able to get involved, and not set up for people to my age, especially, to have a voice in the political system. Um, But, you know, after the election, I think a lot of other people maybe felt the same, and we all got together, and there was a group that started on Facebook uh, in Houston. We kind of, we kind of devolved out of Pantsuit Nation and a lot of us were really interested in getting more involved and doing more political stuff and we weren't all that impressed with the direction Pantsuit Nation was going and so we became the Pantsuit Republic um, in Texas and we started trying to figure our way out through all this mess of stuff and figure out how to get involved and figure out what was going on and how we could make a difference and I think through that was sort of my evolution, my growth. I was involved with Pantsuit Republic at the beginning. I had started, you know, I just got a bunch of women in my area who were interested in getting involved, and we all just came and met in my parents' living room and had a bunch of meetings, and we're like, okay, let's look around, like, what can we do, Where, where do we go? And, you know, it took us a while to sort through all of the groups that were already on the ground and start going to meetings that these groups had, and there were lots of other people around like us who were trying to figure out our way, and, you know, eventually I think a lot of us found different... Um, different things we could do. But I, I met a lot of really interesting people who started becoming leaders in different groups through that. And you know, what I really what I learned from all the different presentations that I went to and talking to the people who were political activists before the, the people who'd already been doing the work was that really the main thing that we need to be doing to make a difference is to be talking to people and getting them to vote. I mean, everything, especially in Texas, everything comes down to the fact that we don't vote. Um, we have the numbers in this state to be a blue state and we're not a blue state. We're not a red state. We're a non-voting state. We just don't. And so I was like, all right, well, how do we get people to vote? And, you know, especially when you're new, you always want, you're always looking for that magic bullet. You're like, okay, there's got to be a way to do this quickly and easily, and we can just, like, get a bunch of people together in a room and tell them to go vote, and they'll go do it. And you always are, you're looking for that thing, and you think, oh, there's, like, it's going it's to gonna happen. It's, it's so easy. Everyone's excited. Everyone's worried. It's really, you know, it's this really big, exciting feeling, and gradually you start to realize over time that there's no magic bullet. The way you get people to vote is you go out every week or every day or whatever time you can allow and you go out and you knock on doors, and you tell them there's an election happening. And you go out and you knock on doors and you register people to vote, and then you go back and you talk to them and you remind them that there's an election. And then you go back a second time and you talk to them again, and you remind them there's an election and it's next week. And then you call them on the day of the election and you remind them to go vote. And that's that's what it takes to make people to, to get people used to the idea, because a lot of us weren't raised going to vote with our parents. We weren't raised with this sense that we had to vote, that voting was an obligation. And when you live in a democracy, voting is not just a privilege. Living in a democracy is a privilege, but it comes with the duty and the obligation and the necessity to be a socially responsible participant in that democracy. It's called participatory democracy because you have to go and get involved and be part of it. It's not ruling for the people by the people if the people aren't involved.
0: So is that a part of the tactic of the political system to create apathy among the electorate and that's how people get elected?
1: I don't think that that's... Um, designed into the system. I mean, the system is designed for participation. It's, that's, that is how the entire system is set up. That's what the Constitution was created for, right? It's created so that you vote for people who then go and represent you. What happens and when people get apathetic is when our education system is not doing its job. Um, if we don't teach in school... If we don't teach the basics of the government and how it works, if we don't teach people what the three branches of government do, what their jobs are, why it's important to go vote, why it is that, you know, there is a system of checks and balances and how those checks and balances work and how one of those checks and balances is us as voters saying, hey, we don't like what you're doing. We're going to vote you out of office. You know, if we don't pay enough attention to what's going on and what politicians are doing, then we're not doing our job as a check on their power. A politician can only serve if we let them. Um, but when we don't learn in school enough about how that whole system works to know how we're supposed to be involved, to know how we make a difference and how voting works, then it's very hard. You know, if, if voting just becomes this very abstract thing, and it doesn't seem connected. Um, so really, I think a lot of this comes back to the failure of our public schools.
0: But um, I would contend with that because I took um, two classes of political science, um, one in in high school and one in college. And what was going on around that time was that a lot of uh, the similar things that are happening right now where everything is not only politicized, but it is um, like a binary system where it's like you're either uh, with the liberals or with the conservatives and everybody else who is moderate or who has their own opinion gets um, dismissed and kind of ignored. And then the way that it's also portrayed is that it's a, a, a game of the rich people. That just like the original um, founding fathers of this nation were the businessmen and the the powerful attorneys and judges, that they're pretty much uh, manipulating the system to fit their, their purposes. So uh, a lowly person who goes and votes um, is already... Um, demoralized before they even get there because they they want to pull you on every side so when you say that uh, if you educate people about the importance of their vote maybe things would be different but there are times where we see that our vote doesn't really count especially when the media says well it's a red state or it's a blue state and like they already um told you who won without you even uh getting involved is that is that some form of like um subconscious manipulation that happens or is is that like a very simplified way of of teaching people about politics and that's why the message gets lost
1: well i'd say a number of things um start with our education system as a whole has a tendency to view things in binary um binaries are nice and simple and easy and when you have an education system that is I mean it has evolved over time and our our systems in general you have to remember that our country was founded as 13 small colonies um at the time there wasn't there was probably not even like very far reaching newspapers let alone radio TV anything like that so really at the time it was founded and the sort of concept for the founding fathers was that when you were electing someone it was someone you knew personally, it was someone from your community, it was a community leader, it was someone you saw at church, it was someone who, you know, you knew what they were doing, you knew who their family was, you knew how, how they earned their money, like, all of that was known, because it was a very small scale, and we haven't changed our system all that much to accommodate the size and scale it has grown to. So yeah, our, our democracy is an experiment there are a lot of democracies out there now and, and republics and various kinds of, you know, different mixed structures that probably work a lot better because they learned from our mistakes. But when you're the very first one, when you're the experiment, um, yeah, there are going to be some problems and you're going to have to fix some stuff as you go along. And ultimately we've, we've changed some things and we have fixed some things. Um, but there's, there's stuff that's still not set up in the best way possible. So for instance, your discussion of this binary, I mean, we have a two-party system. And as much as we might want to think that it would be nice to have multiple parties, the way it's it's set up, that's just not going to happen because we have winner-take-all by the states rather than it being... We don't have an ability to form coalitions. I mean, multiple-party systems have to still form coalitions with each other. The groups, the various parties, have to form coalitions with each other to form a majority to get stuff done. It forces them to work collaboratively across party lines. It doesn't allow for such the parties to diverge so far to the fringes because then they won't be able to get people to work with them. Our system is not set up that way. Um, and we would have to change a lot to make it set up that way. That's not to say it's impossible to have a less partisan and more collaborative approach. But then you have to get into some of the other... Um, complications so i think some of our problems i mean the the sort of a compounding effect as i'd say is that no i mean our our system is not functioning as well as it could it is it is a machine that could use some repair um, and some of that's going to have to come from the judicial system that's not been checking politicians power the way it should and some of that needs to come from us just understanding that our our country has changed enough that we need to catch up with, with the political system that we're using. So I think some of the major issues at the moment that are causing such a partisan divide between the parties is clearly gerrymandering and the Citizens United decision. Um, gerrymandering is a problem because what happens in a state like Texas is that even, even if the Republican Party only has a very small majority, it allows them to control how the district lines are drawn then they control, they draw the district lines in a way that benefits their party, and you have a bunch of districts that are suddenly very, very safely Republican. So when that happens, that's how the party gets further and further to the le- to the right or to the left, because then the Tea Party did was took advantage of all these very safely Republican districts where they knew that a Democratic candidate didn't have a chance, and they primary challenged the moderate Republicans with very, very far-right Republicans. So that's sort of how we've been moving in this direction, is that gerrymandering has become more and more of a common thing as we've had more advanced computer programs and ability to make sure that we're really doing it well. Um, And because of, you know, sort of the politics of urban-rural divide and because of the numbers in various states, a lot of states had slight majority Republican governments that then controlled that that redistricting process so that's that's part of the problem um and the other part of the problem was the citizens united decision which basically allowed very very rich corporations and companies to buy elections um when you allow a corporation which has the only interest of a corporation is to make money for itself and to do well for itself so everything that a corporation does is going to be in its own financial best interest Um, Unlike a person, a corporation doesn't necessarily have a personal moral compass. And it doesn't have individual responsibility because it has group decision-making process. So there are other people to blame things on. However, when you allow a corporation like that to donate to elections as a person, and to have free speech rights as a person then you start having a problem. Then you start having politicians who, not even, even if they don't mean to be corrupt, they somehow owe a lot to this corporate interest because the corporate interest has spent a lot of money to get them elected and then they have to run again so they have to be reelected, so they need more money. And so it, it creates this whole problem. Um, people like to villainize PACs I don't think we should villainize political action committees. I think that the problem is not that at all. The problem is allowing a corporation to be a person and allowing a super PAC or a large group of various different corporate interests to get together and buy basically buy elections. Um, that, that becomes very problematic. So yeah, if you don't have checks on how much money can be being spent, if you don't have good campaign finance laws and you don't make sure that district lines are drawn in a way and the system is drawn is set up in a way that votes are actually representational and that dis, you know representatives actually have some have to answer to their constituents all their constituents and not just the constituents who voted for them then you start having problems and we've been gradually we've been moving in this direction for a long time i mean the current crisis of partisanship has been a long time in the making and there's a lot of little pieces that have gone into pushing it further and further towards where it is today. So no, this isn't just some sudden thing and it's not a breakdown. It's not a... a... I don't like to think of it as this us-them people versus the government thing because really the government is people as well. It's just a lot of small pieces of the puzzle that have been changed or... Small things that have rules that have been let slide, or small ways that things have been shifted or not shifted, that over time have built up to result in a world where, to some degree, our votes do mean less. But those votes that mean less are also not all of them. I mean, it's nice to say, "Oh yeah," in a pub, you know, in a presidential election, my vote doesn't mean anything. Maybe in a, vote, in a state like Texas, my vote doesn't mean that much in a presidential election. But that's not the only vote that matters, right? Ultimately, the president has a lot less effect on my day-to-day life than my local school board members and city council members. And my vote still makes a huge difference in those races. I mean, just last election cycle, one of our school board members was elected by 37 votes. So to me, that says, yeah, my vote makes a big difference in that
0: election, well, let's talk about the whole system because uh, from what you're saying, you need money to be able to to campaign and to be able to win. So that already sets it up where they either have to have money to begin with or they have to have the support of people with money. So then a poor person would, would struggle to, to be able to, to run and, and succeed unless they had that, that support. Then you talk about the the Republicans uh, challenging each other through the most conservatives uh, fighting against the moderate ones. What about the Democratic Party um, being centrist and not really being progressive? And sometimes they change the language, but they still do very centrist things because of the same thing, being accountable to their uh, sponsors. So just, just hearing what you have to say kind of brought all these like, negative, um, ideas about how the system is in a sense rigged because of how, um, you can really, um, it's already set up and it's already, um, structure in a way that makes people who have unique perspectives not really be able to, to run because, um, people are either pandering to the majority or they're pandering to their, um, their base who ends up being people with money. So then someone like Bernie Sanders has no no way to even get his foot in the door, no matter how much support he has from the public, because he has to play ball with the big corporations and the big interests. So um, so it just bring, brings it back to this like very raw feeling that a lot of us have, that um, even if you find the perfect candidate, if he's not in with the right kind of people, or if he doesn't have the right kind of uh, philosophy that everybody can support, then he doesn't even get a chance. And then you get someone like Donald Trump, who, um, who not even his party liked, but because he had a lot of financial backing and because he uh, he mobilized people in a very raw way, he was able to to get himself in there. So it just it kind of stirs up this this very um, um, sad reality about the political system. Um,
1: well, I think part of the problem we deal with here also is a a difference in mentality and the kind of people who vote on each side. On the Republican side, people tend to be willing to compromise a little more for their candidate. Um, Republican voters are like, okay, these are the basic values of the party. I might not like this person 100%. I might not fully agree with them, but they stick to the basic values of the party, right? They're very much party-line voters to a large degree. They're willing to just fall in line behind whoever the candidate is and vote, and they actually turn out and vote in elections. And that is partly just a, uh, a values and sort of mentality about the kind of person. It's something that people who are interested in, like, this, this sort of more conservative view of the world are more willing to be that way. On the democratic side, there's a bit of a tendency to fall into the purity contest, People want their candidate to be perfect. They want to fall in love with the candidate. They want to 100% believe in everything about that candidate. And somehow, if if you are ideologically impure, if you are not, you know, 100% right on all the issues, then they lose interest or the the voter, the Democratic voters have a tendency to be sort of like skeptical, right? They're they're standoffish. They don't want to jump in 100% unless they agree 100% with the candidate. And it causes a problem for Democrats because we try to be the big tent party. We try to be the party that's got our arms open to people across the spectrum of beliefs and across the spectrum of sort of ideologies and ideas and thoughts. And it's very hard to be everything for everyone. So we we sort of have set ourselves up with this problem on the Democratic side. And I think part of the reason that you see the Democratic Party, especially the leadership of the Democratic Party, seeming to always back down and not really make a strong stand is that a lot of the time they're worried to make a stand for anything because they'll piss someone off. They're trying to be everyth- By trying to be everything for everyone, you are nebo- never able to have a firm ideological stand of your own, right? So, I-, I think to some degree, we as voters on the Democratic side need to be a little more flexible and a little more willing to um just vote even if we're not 100% in agreement with that candidate i mean this whole idea that i, I heard a lot of people discussing after the elect, you know before the last election that they really couldn't stand the idea of voting for hillary clinton because she had some imperfections because she had been in politics for a long time and you know she'd had to compromise her position on things and she adjusted her viewpoint over her career and she had changed a lot over her career But for a lot of people who, especially a lot of people I heard who were supporting someone like Bernie Sanders, they couldn't reconcile themselves from his loss to vote for Hillary. And they couldn't kind of just hold their nose and vote. And I think that's that kind of attitude, that kind of lack of excitement about the party and that kind of sort of sense that, oh, well, this candidate's flawed, so I'm not really going to go all in. It's you don't have to go all in you don't have to love the person you don't have to agree 100 percent with them you just have to accept the reality that we do live in a two-party system and that if you don't like the candidate on one side you probably should vote for the candidate on the other right like we we kind of did set ourselves up for that problem um
0: but the problem is that it's, that is that it, you're kind of giving in to the system because i think one of the issues, no, you're
1: not giving into the system. What you're doing is refusing to participate in the system because you don't like the system. And when you stop participating, you stop having a voice, right? You can't. You can't. If you don't vote, you can't then complain about the fact that you don't have a voice in the system because you've already. You've already given that up.
0: No, and, and I and I contend that with my anarchist friends who tell me that voting is pointless and stuff like that. The issue that uh, that I think some people struggle with is. Um, Although a lot lot of us backed up Obama and we had high hopes for him, he ended up in some subjects being just like a Republican, like in immigration, in droning American citizens and things like that. So then it wasn't that attractive to have someone who was going to be like a third um, term of of Obama. And then there was other issues that that were brought up uh, with railroading, Bernie and stuff like that. So... What happens is that I, I, I'm familiar with the idea that what matters is winning. And once you're in, you can change things for the better. And I think that, um, like you said, the, the Democrats or the, the younger people are, are so idealistic that um, they're not thinking in the big picture like the Republicans. But they're like, as long as we get our guy in there, then everything's going to slowly move in our favor. What, what people from, from a progressive perspective have is this desire for everything to automatically change for the better. And, and they're keeping tabs on how things have not moved forward quick enough as compared to what it seems to me from the conservative and the Republican position is that they're happy with the status quo. Like to me, conservative means that they want to conserve things as they are. And progressives want to change things and move things forward. And they get frustrated when things don't move quick enough.
1: What I would disagree with you there on is that actually conservatives at the moment are not happy. Conservatives don't really exist anymore. To be perfectly honest, the Republican Party is no longer the party of conservative values as we used to know it. The Republican Party is now the becoming more and more um, libertarian, and to a large degree, the Republican Party, the, the leadership of the Republican Party actually wants is to. They're trying to destroy the thing that they are part of. Right. The Paul Ryan, for instance, doesn't like Obamacare, not because he doesn't like the way it's set up or any of the things he says about it. He doesn't like it because he doesn't like the idea that the government is providing health insurance, period. Um, He doesn't want taxes. He wants to get, you know, reduce taxes, not because he thinks people need less to pay less taxes for some economic reasons. It's because he's ideologically opposed to the idea of taxes like To a large degree, the Republican Party actually just doesn't want as much government at all. So they are trying to create less and less and less of the thing that they are in charge of. That's a lot easier to do than to actually create good policy.
0: To build something.
1: So, yeah, it's a lot easier to destroy something than to build it in the first place. So things go quicker on that front. Um, But to bring it back to Obama and the problem people have with him... I mean, you have to remember that A, running a campaign is different than running a country. Um, and B, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to vote when Obama was running his first term. But I remember this feeling of excitement around it, that there's people involved and engaged and excited and ready to go and vote. And a few years later... Um, I was in college, and my friends in college, one of our professors once asked us who was registered to vote. No one in the class raised their hands. You know, Obama said something very smart when he first won that election in 2008. He said, look, it's great that I've won, but don't just all become complacent now. Don't just go back to your lives and assume that everything will be fine and taken care of now, because the work is now just starting. He's like, I need you, you're giving me the, um, the trust and the mandate to win, but now I need you to back it up. And what did we do? We went back to our regular lives, we went back to our day-to-day, and we didn't pay any attention until another four years later. And what did the Republican Party do in the meantime? They went and they voted in their midterm elections. I've been looking at a lot of people's voting history recently because I have access to that as a precinct chair. And um, a, lot of, a lot of Democrats, they voted in 2008 and they didn't vote in 2010. A lot of people didn't vote in 2010. Our mid-term, historic midterm turnout in Texas is just depressing. Look, if you elect a president, they have zero power to do anything without the House and the Senate. Presidents don't have much power in general. Presidents are the head of the executive branch. They don't write legislation. Congresspeople write legislation. Senators write legislation. And if we just ignore the rest of the government and just worry about the president, then we're not doing our job as citizens. So if we want to blame, we can't really blame Obama for what he did or did not do after 2010 because we didn't vote and we didn't back him up and we didn't support him and we didn't pay attention to what he was doing until the Republicans pulled it out as nice talking points for the next election when they wanted to villainize Hillary Clinton and say that she would just be another four years of the same. None of us knew any of that stuff until the Republicans told us that it happened because we weren't paying attention. So, I would say to the people who think that Obama was just not doing a good enough job, maybe take a look at what you were doing first. Sure. Maybe Obama didn't do as good a job as we would like in some fronts. Maybe I don't agree with his policies as far as droning goes or as far as immigration goes. But I wasn't there telling him otherwise.
0: So so is keeping our political uh, officials accountable one of the things that gives you hope that um that all these um activist um programs and different things that have happened since the the Trump election have also energized you to to run and to support candidates that, that it is possible to keep people accountable and to turn things around.
1: Yeah, I absolutely think that if we as, I think this is, I I mean, I think they say that we get the representation that we deserve. Well, maybe Trump's a bit of a wake-up call to all of the people who want a government that will just take care of everything and they don't have to think about it, right? That's a nice idea. It would be nice if we had a government that we could just let take care of stuff and not think about it. But that's not the world we live in, right? Um, Some some good examples are, like, in France. People joke that here people are afraid of the government and the police. In France, the government's afraid of the people. Um, The French people are known for protests. On the other hand, the French people protest for healthcare and they've got a pretty great healthcare system and they protest for maternity leave and paternity leave and they get maternity leave and paternity leave to a much greater degree than we do. You know, we've got to tell the government this is what we want because yeah, we're supposed to be the government, right? Like it's government for the people by the people. If we want government for the people by the people, we've got to be willing to participate. Um, and, and yeah, I think that it is possible to change things. I 100% think that if everyone who feels like me right now actually goes out and gets involved. If everyone who thought like I did that ultimately it's a good idea to vote and it's a good idea to be involved and it's a good idea to pay attention, but was just a little bit lazy about it. You know, I don't, I don't think I voted in every midterm election that I should have been voting in. I don't think that I paid as much attention as I should have been. Um, And I think that this election was a big wake up call for me too. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's really important that I should be finding out about this stuff. And the more I've learned about our local level politics, the more I've I've realized how important it is, but also just how easy it is to be involved. You know, there's lots of ways to be doing stuff. There's lots of ways to have a voice. I mean, you can go to your city council meetings. You can go to school board meetings. All those, all those things are public. Um, voting records of your local representatives are public. You can see exactly how they have voted on every bill. So it's not some big mysterious thing. It just takes a little legwork. Um, and I think if more people like me really jump in and get involved and say, okay, well, I'm going to become the precinct chair. and I'm going to make sure that all my neighbors know that elections are happening and know who's done stuff that maybe is not so great for our community and who's done stuff that maybe is good for our community and who we need to be backing up. Then I think it'll I think it'll change. I mean I think some great local examples, for instance, are um, just just in our next election cycle. There's a young woman named Sean Tierry, who is our state representative in this district, and she was she was filling in the end of someone's term, so she was just elected right before the last legislative session. A brand new, you know, freshman representative, very young and. She had some experience, some backing, some training, but not a super, you know, long time serving, you know, knowing her politician. But she, know, she saw that there was a big problem with maternal mortality in Texas, and she decided to make stand and do something about it. And she put bills up to make sure that the governor didn't just hide all the data about maternal mortality, and she made a big fuss, and she made her big... A lot of headlines, and she talked about it a lot, and uh, she made sure that people were paying attention to the fact that women are dying in childbirth in Texas at a rate higher than anywhere else in the industrialized world. That's someone who I want to make sure my neighbors know about, because suddenly there are some people running against her for when she's running for re-election, and I don't know why they're running against her, because I don't know if they think she did a bad job or what their agenda is, and I intend to find that out, but I think a lot of people have no idea who she is or who they are. They probably have never heard the name Sean Tierry because, you know, our local representatives are not very high profile politicians. Um, so I think it's important for me as, and just as a neighbor, It's I think it's important for me to make sure I get the word out about Sean Teary and the work she's done. So I think people like that, you know, that's someone that anyone in our district could be excited to know about. And they're, we think of politicians as these distant, inaccessible figures, and they're not. They're people like us, and a lot of the local ones, you know, they, they have, they'd be happy to hear from their constituents. I mean, a lot of them have offices or phone numbers, and you can just call them up and talk to them. You can just walk into their office and talk to them. You can say, hey, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this or that, or I'm concerned about this or that. Can you try to fix it? And a lot of the time they will. In the last school board race, I was very, I was having a very hard time finding out about the school board trust people who were running for HCC trustee, and I was feeling worried about the seat because the person who sat in it before was actually, um, just indicted, well, she's just gone to prison for, um, bribery, so I was like, alright, I want to make sure that whoever's filling the seat knows what's up and is going to do a good job. I couldn't find any information, so I just looked up their phone numbers and I called them up and I talked to them. And that was the best, you know, the best way to figure out who to vote for was just actually having an honest conversation with the person. Because they're not so far away, they're not so inaccessible, they're not all, you know, the president of the United States. A lot of politicians are just regular old people like us.
0: Before we close, uh, can you tell us like the percentage of people voting for the president and midterm election, uh, as far as you know?
1: Whew. Um
0: I heard it was thirty six percent people voted for president. Is in that...
1: Texas our voter registration numbers are pretty low. I'm not off I can't tell you off the top of the head how many people are actually registered to vote, but it's definitely a small fraction of the actual people who are eligible to vote. I think it's probably somewhere around sixty percent. Um or less. I'd have to look it up to be sure. Um, but I know that then of all the people who are registered to vote, Texas has some of the lowest voter turnout rates in the country. So in a presidential election, maybe that looks like 60% of registered voters, 70% of registered voters. In our last school board election, we had statewide ballot initiatives on the ballot in this just this past November. Um, some of them were constitutional amendments to the Texas Constitution. It is like 2% turnout. 2% of registered voters who actually voted in that election. Midterms, you know, I expect it to be a little bit higher because we've got the governor and the state senator and lieutenant governor, um, attorney general, a bunch of those big statewide races on the ballot. But even then, I doubt it will be as high as in a presidential year. So, yeah, it's not a very high percentage of eligible voters who are actually voting.
0: No, just, I don't even know what to think anymore about what's going on. because What happened with Trump?
1: Most of the research shows that people aren't really rational in their decisions in the voting booth, as much as we like to think we vote on a rational basis, the main part of the decision making is actually emotional that 's why so many advertising tricks work really well as a campaigner i mean you can
0: it sounds like what I want to get to is uh, how are we resisting Trump and how are we um, flipping the the coin like getting away from the type of um, I don't like to be bombastic, with like almost like totalitarian stuff going on. I'm coming from, um, very, um, uh, disheartened with the political system and feeling, that, uh, it, uh, it's turned into like a clown show. So it's hopeful to talk to people like you who are getting involved and making a difference, but it's easy to be cynical about the process. Well, we want to thank you for your time and for our international, uh, podcast listeners, um, I think um, it's important for you to read our little blurb on the website where we're going to be discussing how the politics of the U.S. work and how, um, how her partic- particular precinct um, is because um, not only are we uh, broadcasting the show in Nashville and, and it's being recorded in Houston, but we also have people from all over the world listening to us. So I would like to, for you guys to click on different links and know what's going on And hopefully um, we can learn from each other. I always wonder when Americans talk about some other country where politics are great over there. And I'm sure everywhere there's problems with corruption and problems with lack of consistency and stuff like that. But uh, I like what you said about how it's a work in progress and that uh, we got to stay vigilant and and be involved if, if if we wanted to reach its full potential. So thank you again for your time, and hope to have you on the show soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank Thank you very much.